Well, good morning. It is good to be with you here in person. If you are watching online, I want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. I know there are so many of you who are watching online who desire to be here uh, and can't, and so I just want to say welcome. We are in the middle of a series right now that we're calling Uncertain. And we're looking at the life of Moses, one of the central figures of the Old Testament, one of the most well-known people in all of the Bible. Uh, You don't really have to be a Christian to have heard of Moses and to know some of the story of Moses. But we're looking at Moses, and we're looking at his life and the things he experienced and the journey that he went through. And we're asking ourselves, in 2020, what does this man's life have to teach us? Moses' life, as you just saw in the bumper video, could certainly have been defined as uncertain. And even though he lived thousands of years ago, there may be a word in his life, in his story, for us today. And so I'm excited to be with you and continue in this series. Uh, I'm also excited because as we think about this uncertainty, as we think about this series, I've got a big spoiler for you. And so I know that's kind of like a, you know, a bait, but, but it's true. At the end of today, I've got a big spoiler about this entire series. And so if you fall asleep between now and then, we'll make sure somebody wakes you up so you don't miss it. But earlier this week, on Tuesday, I w- was here in this room for the funeral of an incredible man, Keith Burba. Several of you were there. And it was a beautiful funeral, uh, lots of folks shared, and, and it was one of those funerals where you leave and you feel encouraged and also challenged. You feel encouraged by the life that this man lived, the incredible legacy that he leaves. You want to be more like Keith, you want to exhibit that kind of kindness and goodness, and so you feel challenged by the life that he lived to embody those ways in your own life. But at one point in the the funeral, one of his sons shared a story, and I I got permission to talk about Keith today, so uh, I hope this is okay. But they shared a story about a family trip they took when the boys were in middle school. And they were going out to California. They were taking 30 days to go across the U.S., so they were going the southern route out to California and coming back the northern route. And one of the stops they made along the way was in Las Vegas. And so Keith and his wife Linda, uh, being the good Nazarenes they were, as they were coming into town, they began to talk to their boys about the dangers of gambling, just how it was unwise and uh, not a good use of your time and money. But Keith thought it would be good, since they were here, to use this moment not just to talk about this, but to teach them about the dangers of gambling. And so one of the places they went when they were there was a place called Circus Circus, and it had an arcade on the second floor so that the kids could go and play in all the fun arcade games. But on that second floor, there's a balcony where you could go and you could look over the first floor, which was a casino. And so Keith had the idea to teach his boys this lesson. So he went and got a roll of nickels. And he had Linda take the boys up onto the balcony, and, and he went down to the casino, and I think his son called it the, the one-armed bandit, one of the slot, pull slot machines. And he started putting nickels in, and obviously nothing was happening because that's how it works. And so he's probably looking up and saying, you, you see, this isn't, this isn't making sense, this is just unwise. Uh, And he's putting them in, but after a while, junior high boys kind of lose their patience and start to lose their focus, and so Linda gives him the wrap-it-up signal. And his son said that on one of the last nickels he had, he put it in, pulled the arm, and hit the jackpot. (laughs) 
and the music started playing, lights were flashing, sirens were going, people were coming up to him and congratulating him, waitresses were coming up and saying congratulations, offering him drinks, and his son says, I don't think that's the lesson he wanted us to learn. (laughs) I guess he had to get a bucket to carry all the nickels that came out of the machine and get them out of the building. But maybe you're a parent and you have a moment like that where there's a lesson that you are trying to teach. There's something that you're trying to convey to your children. And somehow, someway, along the, the, the story, along the lesson, something goes awry. And it begins to spiral out of control and you feel like this lesson that you're trying to teach, you're losing control on the situation. Maybe you're a, you're a child um, and your parents, maybe you're an adult child, but you still have a parent and you're trying to teach them about technology and how easy technology is to use. And so you're teaching them this lesson. But somewhere along the way, everything starts to fall apart. And this technology, which is so easy, things just start to spiral and nothing works, and you lose control over that situation. See, no matter who you are today, whether you're here in person or watching online, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, we all can understand that feeling of being in a situation where we start to lose control where things don't go the way we thought they would go. Maybe it's a conversation and you know, like, you want the conversation to end here. But somehow, some way, the conversation gets hijacked and then all of a sudden it starts going this way. Maybe for some of you who are parents, you recognize that your kids are growing up and moving out or moving away as they get jobs or maybe get married. And you start to feel like this thing that matters so much to you is slipping away and this family is changing and you're losing control. Maybe you get a notice from work that your company is making layoffs and you're part of it. And you begin to feel like you're losing control and the bills begin to pile up. Maybe you get a phone call. And on the other end of that phone call, is news of an event that happened, a tragedy, a diagnosis. And in that moment, the world that you know feels like it's ripped out from underneath you, and you begin to spiral and feel like you are losing control. And in those moments, our natural response is always to try to do whatever we can to regain control. When we start off as babies, we begin to learn to try to fight for balance in our lives so that our bodies uh, can function and know how to deal with things. And so we do whatever we can to regain control, to get our feet back underneath us. So today I want to look at this story about the life of Moses. And I want to look at it and ask ourselves, in uncertain times, In moments where we feel like we're losing control, what does this story have to teach us about our response or about our posture in the midst of those moments? We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, and so if you're here in person or you're watching online and you want to flip there, we'll be there in just a minute. But remember that this story picks up, if you've been following along the last few weeks, the story picks up right after these Israelites had been in captivity, enslaved for over 400 years. And Moses, God sends Moses to these people, and Moses leads them out of Egypt, out of captivity. And they cross the Red Sea, not around it, not over it. They go through the Red Sea, and they get to the other side. And there's this celebration. We can read about it. They're singing songs, and I'm sure there's music, and there's cheering. But you can almost as you're reading, see this moment as well where, where all the music starts to fade away and all of the clapping and cheering 
starts to fade away, and they're left just kind of looking around at one another, thinking, well, now what? Now what? And these people are led into the wilderness, into the desert. And it's tough there. You know, they thought they had it all figured out now that they were free from Egypt, but now they're led into the wilderness, and now they don't know what's going on. They have to learn to trust God for their next meal. And some of them think, oh, man, this is not as easy as I thought it would be. This isn't as great as I thought it would be. And some of them even begin to say to Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt? Why did you leave? I mean, I know that we were slaves, but at least we knew where our next meal was coming from. And these people are marked by this uncertainty and this lack of control, and they don't know what to do about it. And that's where our story picks up today. In Exodus chapter 20, starting right at verse 1. I think it'll be on the screens if you want to read along. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything, in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord, for your Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you should labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So what's... What's happening here? Here's the bad news for us. We really don't have time to dive deep into all of these commandments. These are obviously the first four commandments out of ten commandments, right? And and so we're breaking them down. The first four commandments all seem to deal with the relationship that we have with God. The first four, the nature of the relationship between man and God. The last six, what we'll talk about next week, deal with the relationship we have between one another man and neighbor, brother, sister, friend, family. And so it's probably appropriate that next Sunday, the last Sunday before the election, we're talking about what it means to love our neighbor. That's probably good timing for us as a church. But in Jesus, when Jesus is asked about what's the greatest commandment, he says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, body, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He takes these commandments and boils it down to two things. Love God and love people. And so today, we're trying to wrap our minds around these first four, this, this love God part. Uh, but even just four, we really don't have time to look at the context and the background and the history and try to understand exactly what is meant in each of these. And so the question then, if we're going to just look at them as a whole and try to see what this is trying to communicate to us, is looking at this major theme I, I think if you were to ask me what's happening here, but also if you were to push me and say, hey, Tyler, 
what is the Old Testament about? Like, if you could sum up the Old Testament in as short as possible, what is, what is the theme of the Old Testament? What is the major arc or story of the Old Testament? If you push me on that, I would say this. It boils down to a simple question. What is God like? What is God like? Because we see all throughout the Old Testament, it's this story of these people who are trying to understand what this God is like, who this God is, how this God interacts. What is God like? See, these people weren't unfamiliar with the idea of gods. I mean, in these days, there were gods that people worshipped for just about anything. You could have the God for rain and the God for sun. You could have the God for growing season and the God for harvest season. I mean, they were just led out of Egypt who had no shortage of gods that they worshipped. But all the way back to the beginning and through Abraham, we see this God, Yahweh, I am, revealing himself to these people and trying to help them understand what is God like. And so I think as we look at these commandments, we see that these commandments are trying to help these people understand this question. What is God like? And so even though we may not be able to get in all of them, there is certainly something here for us to begin to understand. How many of you uh, maybe it's at your house or a cabin or a friend's cabin, but you walk in and you see this artwork. This artwork that says something probably like family rules, right? It's, it's the family rules, and it may say, uh, pick up after yourself, uh, laugh often, forgive quickly, love always, put the toilet seat down, uh, whatever it might be, right? It's these family rules, which in essence mean that this is who we are as a family. We're going to pick up after ourselves. We're going to forgive and we're going to laugh. We're going to love and we're not going to leave the toilet seat up. That's who we are. That's kind of what's happening here with these Ten Commandments. That these Ten Commandments are God's family rules. This is not not rules that that you follow just to be a part of the family, but saying this is who we are. This is what it's like to be a part of this family. This is what it's like to be a part of God's family, God's people. And so if we wanted to try to quickly get into a couple of them, like the third commandment, don't misuse the name of the Lord. You know, growing up, I understood that to not, to mean that I don't say, oh my gosh, right? I can't even say it now. My mom might be watching. I know she's not here this weekend, but she might be watching, so I can't say it. So we don't say, oh my gosh, and, and certainly, that's probably part of it. But I think if we look at the story, we also see that God's trying to communicate to a people, hey, don't just, don't just do what you want and get what you want and then say it was because of me. Don't have your purposes and your ways and then just say, well, God told me to do that. We see this all throughout uh, the Old Testament of, of these people who are doing these things, awful, uh, oftentimes really violent and horrible things, and then they say, well, God said to do this. And God's saying, hold on, slow down. Don't just have your way in this world and then attach my name to it. Don't take my name in vain. You know, we still do this today, and you'll probably hear it a lot over the next 10 days. Because we love to use God's name when it comes to elections, to get the things that we want, the ways that we want, the people that we want in office. I think the word of caution is 
from the Lord, don't take my name in vain. Don't just do what you want, get what you want, and then just say it's because of me. Don't take my name in vain. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember, we have a people here who have just been led out of captivity for 400 years, for generations and generations and generations. They were slaves, and as slaves, they knew this one truth, that their lives were about how many bricks they could make in a day. That their being, their essence, everything that they were was tied up into how much you can make, how much you can produce for Pharaoh. And so what God is saying here is, no, 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 hold on, slow down. You are more than just what you can make. You are more than just what you can consume. But woven into who you are, being made in the image of God, means that there is Sabbath and there is rest. That rest isn't just the thing that we do so we can get back to what matters, but in rest, we encounter God. Rest is part of who we are. We aren't just human doings, but we're human beings. And sometimes we need to stop, and in our stopping, in our rest, in our Sabbath, we encounter God in profound ways and tune our hearts and realign our lives into the ways of God. And so we have these family rules, these commandments that we see here in Exodus 20. But if I'm being honest, if if I was an Israelite then, and God had said, hey, look, Tyler, you can have 10 whatever you want. I'll give you 10 of something. You just tell me what it is. I wouldn't have chosen these. I would have said, okay, well, how about you give me my next 10 meals? Or how about my next 10 weeks of meals? That sounds great. Why don't you give me the 10 steps that I can become the next Egypt? Because that seemed like they had it pretty good. So let me know how I can become Egypt. Or God, why don't you give me the next 10 weeks, months, years? Why don't you give me a vision for what that's going to be like so I have an idea, so I can kind of make some plans around that? That would be great. Give me those next 10 things. And yet in that moment, God gives them these commandments, these words that don't move them any closer to certainty. But in this, in this story, in this, in this idea, God reveals something that's incredibly powerful about who God is. God is not trying to rid them of their uncertainty, but God is trying to use their uncertainty to form them. Now, let's not miss this. Because the way that God responds, the way that God speaks, the way that God moves in this moment reveals something about the nature, the character of God, but also about God's people. That God's people are marked not by our ability to escape uncertain times, but by our willingness to be formed in the midst of them. God's people are not marked by our ability to escape uncertain times, but by our willingness to be formed in the midst of them. That for these Israelites, it would be really easy to try to figure out, just get me out of here, get me to what's next, get me to back to the certainty where I have control. But God is using this to form them. Now, I've got to take a time out, and I've got to pause, because there's a really important caveat that I can't miss. It would be unwise and irresponsible for me not to say this. And so if you find yourself here today or watching online, and you find yourself in an uncertain situation because someone 
is hurting you, abusing you, misusing you. The call of this story is not to just remain in that abuse and to wait it out. I really don't want someone to mishear me. That's not what this text is saying to us today. And if you're sitting here today and someone has confided in you this most vulnerable and, 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 and broken part of their story, please do not take God's word and try to tell them just to wait it out. Just uh, that faithfulness looks like staying and, and, and dealing with it. Please don't mishear me on that. But for God's people, for the Israelites, and maybe for us today, in the midst of uncertainty, the message that God is trying to communicate is not just to do whatever you can to gain control back, to grab onto that, but to seek to see how you may be formed in the midst of it. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean that God was trying to call the Israelites to be formed, to be this unique people? What does that mean for you and me sitting here today? You are being formed today. You are being formed today. Formation is not an option we have to say, well, today, yeah, I'm good with being formed today, or no, not, not today. You are being formed today. Formation is not stagnant. The things that you read, the things that you watch, the conversations you have, the way that you talk to people, the way you talk about people. I was driving to church this morning and I was remembering a conversation I saw on Facebook and I was finding myself getting incredibly frustrated and angry and thinking thoughts about someone that probably was not godly. And in front of Donna's Donuts, the Lord checked me. And I had to confess. Because in that moment, as I was having those thoughts with myself alone in a car, I was being formed a certain way. And I had to ask God for forgiveness in that moment. The way that you think about people and talk about people, the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your money is forming you. And so in the midst of uncertainty, in situations where we feel like we are losing control, the question is not, am I being formed? But how? How am I being formed? And this is true for whoever you are, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. This is a good question for you to ask. How am I being formed today? But if you are a Christian, we have a specific, unique response to this question. And so if you allow me just for a minute, I'm going to flip back. Uh, it's, if you go back to chapter 19, just a few verses before where we were, we read that Moses is going up on the mountain. It's the third month, but it says, on the third day in the morning, as he's getting ready to go up on the mountain, mountain to receive these Ten Commandments, it says the whole mountain began to tremble. And as I read that this week, my mind, my heart jumped forward to the Gospel of Matthew to the person of Jesus, this Jesus who came and offered this other way of being, offered this other way of life than what people were accustomed to. And because of it, he was arrested and tried and crucified and ultimately buried. But on the third day, in the morning, 
The whole earth began to tremble. And this Jesus who was crucified was raised from the dead. And in Jesus' resurrection, we see this new life. We see this completely new way of being. That our call to formation is not ultimately to a command or to a set of standards or to some rules, but our formation is to be in the ways of Christ. We are called into deeper and deeper Christ-likeness. That in Jesus, we see the answer to that question in the Old Testament. What is God like? Jesus. Jesus. And as Christians, we are called into greater Christ-likeness. Our formation is to not be in any way but Christ-likeness. And so I said at the very beginning that I have a, a, a spoiler for you, and I wasn't lying. And if someone's sleeping, just nudge them awake. Because we're talking about this series, Uncertain. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of an election year, in the midst of a lot of things that are happening in our world right now that make it feel uncertain. But here's the spoiler. There's no such thing as certain times. It may feel like it's easy to feel this uncertainty and this loss of control right now, but there's no such thing as certainty. Certainty is a myth. And in all times, we are living in uncertain times because we don't know what this afternoon will hold, what this week will hold, what this year will hold for us. And so if the call in uncertain times is to be formed into greater and greater Christ-likeness, then that call is not just for certain t- or, uh, specific times, but for all times. That God's people are marked not by our ability to escape uncertain times, but by our willingness to be formed in the midst of them. I, I told you earlier a story about Keith. And as I've gone throughout this week and sat through the funeral, we had board meeting this week and we shared and told stories about Keith in there. I'm reminded that Keith, Keith modeled this for us. Now, Keith probably won't end up in a history book. Maybe he will, I don't know. But he probably won't end up in a history book as some incredibly famous person. But Keith's life is a demonstration and a witness to us of what the life of humble, faithful obedience to God's constant formation looks like. Keith was open to the ways that God would form and work in his life for his entire life. And he modeled that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. He was that example for us. And his life reminds us that we too can be open to God's formation, that God is constantly calling us into deeper and deeper, greater Christ-likeness in the midst of uncertainty, rather than trying to figure out what life will look like once this is over. Maybe begin to ask how God can form you in the midst of it.